podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people? That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Smart People Podcast. Hope you're staying warm in this holiday season. I'm Chris Stemp. And I'm John Rojas. And yes, I realize that we are global, so some of those countries, it's actually summertime right now. That's true. Not trying to be ethnocentric. Is that That's not right. Is I don't it? even know. Geogress-centric. I just made that up. I don't know. Thanks for joining us to listen to some conversations to satisfy your curious mind. We are talking today with Jesse Sostren, great guy, really interesting. And we're talking about, you know, when you take a job and you read the job description, how afterwards it ends up being nothing like you imagined. He recently wrote a book, Beyond the Job Description, How Managers and Employees Can Navigate the True Demands of the Job. We dive into so much more than that in this episode. As you all know, John and I are very passionate about work, finding work-life balance, finding your place in the world. So we're excited to bring this to you. Hope it'll make your life a little bit better. Yeah, I was so excited about work-life balance that you I gave up work. Here's your work-life balance. Here's life. my balance. Exactly. <laughs> Just life. And you know what, guys? I'm cutting John off from whatever he was going to say. But after this episode airs, so the week of... December 22nd, when we will be celebrating Christmas. However, not everybody does. We're cool with that. But as our way of giving, which is what the season is all about, we're going to give you three episodes. So probably spaced periodically throughout that week. They're going to be a little shorter, maybe 20, 25 minutes, probably not much of an intro. And they're going to be the best of. So we're going to give you some best of series. We're going to splice together some things that we really loved. You can just, you know, enjoy them, soak them in. Drink your eggnog or whatever you're drinking. Hope you enjoy that. Yeah, my Christmas present to you is going to be not including intros with those. So it's okay, just cool. going to be conversation. It'll be awesome. So if you are a new listener, you know, you get to catch up and hear some of this stuff and maybe go, oh, I need to go download episode 45. That's true. So actually, if you're a new listener, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on those three. As you know, we release Sundays. Those are going to be a little off the beaten path. So Enough talking. Do remember, if you're doing last-minute holiday shopping, smartpeoplepodcast.com. Click on our Amazon banner. It takes you to Amazon. We get a little kickback. No cost to you. Keeps the lights on. Keeps the tape running. Yeah, and we wouldn't mind any holiday or Christmas or Hanukkah donations. So there is a donate button on the page as well. I know Chris hates when I ask for donations, I'm shaking my but head. you know what? We need to pay for hosting and other stuff. Help us get through this Enough. holiday season. Enough. Enjoy the episode. Jesse Sostren. All right, Jesse. Well, again, thanks so much for being on the show. This is a subject that as soon as I saw the name of the book in the subtitle, I, I hadn't even dove into what it was about yet. I was like, oh, I'm going to enjoy this because... Every job I've ever had, it's not even remotely close to what I thought. I mean, even what they tell you in the interview. And so I guess my first question is just how did you come up with the idea of writing about this? This is a pretty niche topic or idea in, in beyond the job description. Well, thank you for that. And, and I think you're right. It's one of those things that's a, it's a specific niche. 
And at the same time, it has that quality that we can all relate to. And that's what's been most exciting for me is trying to express my own experience and then connecting with people, whether they're people I've coached or consulted with or people who just say, you're so right. Every day I show up and there's this different set of things I'm supposed to be doing. And I call that the hidden curriculum of work. And it's been a lot of fun to try to lift the veil and expose that. And people are really kind of getting some traction around the idea that our job descriptions lie and uh, they don't tell the truth. And if we're a little bit more generous, they only tell part of the story. And what I've seen is that people who are struggling to stay vital in the world of work and stay ahead of the change curve, and of course, managers and leaders who are trying to get more out of their human capital, they really need to understand what the true demands of the job are. So that's my quest. Sure. And what's interesting there that you kind of unwrapped for me, and and this is something I find most fascinating about people we talk to, is I like to know how you got into it, how, you know, you said you do a lot of consulting in this area and you speak with people. kind of want to know, at what point did you say, I can be this consultant, I have this wealth of knowledge, I can help people, I can help organizations? So I guess it's a mix of background plus add in your little bit of story. Sure. Well, I think um, like a lot of innovation, my breakthrough came from frustration. And I started in, you know, helping people as a conflict resolution and mediation practitioner. So I've mediated several hundred disputes among people in organizational contexts, interpersonal contexts, even international contexts. And one of the things I noticed is that the way we talk to people and the habits of interaction we form really create patterns. And, and these patterns really start to live us. And if we're not careful, if we don't learn how to look at what they are and the impact they have and how they influence us, we really don't have any control over them. So people wanted to see change, but often they weren't willing to get down to that root cause level. So I did that for about 10 years and gradually expanded my skills to, to facilitate and to provide coaching and strategic planning for leaders. And I just started realizing that there were these common patterns or these barriers to people getting what they wanted out of their working lives or out of their team performance or out of their ongoing individual performance. And I started to name these issues or these barriers, and I got really good at it. And what I found is that people were responding as I would describe them, and they cut across industry, they cut across professions. And I got so frustrated at the lack of a tool or you know something off the shelf out there that would sort of describe these that... I decided I, I would do it myself. So I actually went back to school and got a PhD in leadership and organization development. And I studied all of these kinds of learning and performance barriers. I actually did the largest study of its kind. And uh, I'm kind of a cartographer of sorts, mapping out these hidden challenges of work. And what's in this book, Beyond the Job Description, is about 15 years of in the trenches, work with people to actually tease these out and identify them. And then, of course, my, my formal research that kind of put them in a framework and helps people understand how they actually create organizational change. And, and I appreciate that background. You know, one of the things that intrigues me the most about just the idea of work, work-life balance, what we do, our careers, is the fact that we give so much of ourselves to it. And I think that oftentimes... I'm this alien because some people I talk to don't think about it like that. Oh, I go, I get a paycheck or it's something I do nine to five, but it's not my life. I've never been able to separate myself that way. It's been a very stressful thing because 
it's hard to find something that you want to wake up every morning and do. So having you on and all the people you've talked to and you have your PhD in, you know, basically how organizations work, I wanted to hear, did you ever find things or, or have you come to any realization about how ingrained work is in our self-worth, in what we should be looking for, in where we find happiness and how to get it, you know, all those things. I think those, those are the right questions to ask when you think about the reality. And I started selling newspapers when I was seven years old. Um, so that was the informal economy, but, uh, I pretty much worked from there on out, you know, cleaning up the golf course, washing dishes in restaurants, hustling and newspaper routes and all that good stuff. And if I keep my health and wits about me, I'm a Gen Xer, so I'm looking at working uh, probably 70 years. <laughs> so that old adage that life is about work and, and a lifetime is a working life has never been more true. Mm-hmm. So I think your question is important because if we're going to spend 60 or 70 years doing something, that's the inescapable obligation, and it's going to define our lives. So if we don't ask questions about how we're doing, about what we want from the experience, about whether it aligns with the values that are important to us. Uh, We may wake up 20, 30, 40 years down the road and realize that we're not actually living the life we want. So that's part of what I'm passionate about is helping people understand that this is our charge. It used to be that you could look at an organization and there was enough structure and stability and things didn't change fast enough to worry about constant change or massive layoffs or the competition that comes from outsourcing. And as you guys know, the last couple of years, it's, uh, there's been this clarion call that we're, we're our own free agents, we're, we're on our own, and I think that's true. You know, We need to be better at being our own coach, our own HR department. So I talk about the quality of your working life in this book a lot, because if I can give people tools to set the trajectory for how they actually craft that now, it's going to have dividends to pay years, if not decades down the road. And one of the things to your first part of the question that I have seen that's true across the different industries and generations of clients I've worked with, and that is that work doesn't really ever stay at the office. There's really this inseparable barrier. So our ability to understand how to create alignment between what we care about and what matters with our work is critical because the less alignment there is, the more that sense of disease or that fragmentation happens. And when we have a bad day and work comes home with us or we get that pit in our stomach, we don't want to go back because of an impending confrontation with a colleague or a boss that just doesn't support us or these unexpected budget cuts that thrash this project we were working on. Whatever the scenario is, we lose that sense of influence and control. So I'm a big advocate of actually taking the reins of your working life and figuring out your future-proof plan, what it, is, what it is that you can do to be the person and the career professional you want to be 10, 15, 20 years down the road. Well, that's perfect. You, you steered this right into what I consider my wheelhouse, the thing that ultimately in the end I'm most passionate about. It's why we started the podcast. It's to help people find what they enjoy so they can utilize their natural strengths to better humanity, society, the world, whatever you want to call it. And you mentioned a lot of times, and I know you charge a lot of money, I'm sure, to to give people these tools, but I was hoping you might be able to give us a tool or an idea of how to get the best of us out there, how to find where we mesh in in this work-life balance and and how we succeed. Absolutely. I think... The first step for for people 
at whatever level you are, I, I don't care if you're at the top of the organization chart or you're in the middle or the bottom. One of the things that we've already talked about is that the perception we have about what our job is is not necessarily the whole picture. So I think the first step is to identify what I call the job within the job. And there are six questions, and I have lots of tools in this book, which it's one of the biases I have is toward action. I, I'm kind of a lazy reader myself, so I really want to make sure I'm going to get something practical. So I've filled this book with a lot of coaching exercises that readers can use. So these six questions are designed to help you actually look under the hood at your own job. And it has to do with sharpening your focus on the vital purpose, the value-added contributions, and the hidden barriers you face to getting good work done. And so the first question is, what single statement best describes your role and what you do? And most people can answer that question because it speaks to tasks and activities, the kind of common stuff that's outlined in our job descriptions. The second question is, more about the things that take most of your time so you can pinpoint the actual activities and then basic challenges. But the next three questions go much deeper. They ask you specifically, in a single statement, what would you say your vital purpose is to this team and this organization? In other words, why does this position exist on the org chart? The next one, which of your contributions have the greatest value? And this is where people start to find that gap between what they do that actually helps and adds value to the bottom line or to taking better opportunities and turning them into wins and actual tasks and activities. And usually there's a pretty big gap between what we do to stay busy and what we do that actually contributes value. And then the last question is, what are the hidden challenges? And that's important because it gets people to start to see, well, you know what? It really is this unclear set of expectations that tends to trip me up. Or it really is the fact that people don't have a clear understanding of what they're doing, and so the communication and collaboration channels are completely out of whack. But those six questions are the start of revealing your own job within the job. This is just going to come from a personal standpoint, but I was working for a top four consulting firm, and that second question of what is the value that I bring to this, I was not able to sit down and truthfully answer that, and I felt like I would ask myself, why am I really here? Because if I left, which I did, I'm easily replaceable and that type of thing. What type of advice do you give people who feel like that if they're sitting in their job and they're asking themselves what value they add if there is that big gap? I mean, are they in the wrong profession, the wrong job? Are they not looking in the right places? What types of things do you recommend to those people? Well, that, that question is, is worth a million dollars, literally, because People who are happy and focused and in, in contributing their best efforts statistically will make more money. So tuck that away. It's a million-dollar question, literally. <laughs> uh, but there's two things to say on this one. The first is that if you don't know the value you bring, you can trust that others don't or they're at least not valuing it for what it's worth. So it's not okay to not know the answer to that question. Now, I think you're like a lot of us who at the first iteration would go, wait a minute, what is it? it? It looks like maybe there's not or I'm not sure. So the first thing I encourage people to do is to actually pinpoint the things that they're contributing that have value, whether or not that value is getting traction, getting noticed and actually you know, taking hold on the organizational priorities. So you've got to be responsible for answering that question. The second piece is, well, does my boss know? As you guys know, the, the number one reason a 
person leaves a job is the quality of that relationship with their direct manager. If it's bad, uh, then people who are talented and have options will typically leave. Uh, if it's bad and people don't really have options, they'll often quit but simply forget to tell their boss. And I, I think that ties into that 71% uh, disengagement. You know, everybody's been beating the drum on that one quite a bit. Uh, when you look at Gallup's latest numbers that it costs the economy $350 billion a year in productivity, 70, 71% of our total workforce in the U.S. is either passively or actively disengaged. Uh, you know, I won't, I won't bore you with the details of what that means, but it's no wonder that people are feeling overworked and disempowered when you think they're held accountable for a job description that only tells part of the picture. They face all these unseen challenges around getting good work done and dealing with constant change and difficult political situations and you know, shifting priorities. And so your question is important because it speaks to this idea of this mutual agenda where you know the value, purpose, and role you play, but so does your manager and, and the team. And if there's alignment there, you have a better chance at actually connecting with those things we talked about earlier, such as you know, understanding why you got into the field in the first place, feeling good about your contribution, connecting to a sense of purpose more than just your own individual ideas and goals getting involved and commitment, you know, to the mission and vision of the organization. So if there's no mutual agenda, good ideas, the next Twitter will walk out the door because people will find a place to, to do it. You know, maybe you're an example of that. This podcast wouldn't have been possible without you making that move and saying, I need to do something more. I need to deliver more of me and the world needs more of you. So I'm glad you did it, but it sounds like it was a loss to the firm. <laughs> that was really an incredible way of summing it up because the podcast was actually born out of John took a leave of absence uh, despite him wanting to. And then and I simply quit. I was working in finance and something similar. But a lot of what you said makes so much sense to me now. Now I work at a very small uh, firm, or I can't even call it a firm. It's a nonprofit. And it started out with just two of us. It's grown to about 12 and the thing I like the most is every day, the decisions I make directly impact the business. I feel this sense of ownership. I make zippy money, like so little money. But you can see I feel so much more part of what I'm doing. And I think that it gets lost in those larger organizations specifically. So what I'm really interested in is I'm sure you sit down with the people that run these large organizations. What do you tell them to, quote unquote, get their head out of their ass? Well, sometimes <laughs> I actually get to use blunt language like that. So thank you. <laughs> you're, you're actually using, using my language. I think that, you know, if we're talking about influencing senior leaders, I, I think there's a certain, you know, vocabulary that they respond to. And it has to do with understanding the conditions of, of being in business. So if we're talking about the for-profit world, you know, we're talking about uh, the bottom line. And I think... The human side of work and, and the people management component has a direct correlation with the bottom line. Everybody knows it now. You know, it's a cliche to say your people are your greatest asset when you don't really get the metrics that actually drive that. But when you understand them, such as how turnover affects, you know, the bottom line, how uh, the inability to recruit and retain high potential leaders affects your pipeline and with this impending crisis of baby boomers retiring and this leadership vacuum that everybody's expecting, there's real dollars and cents attached to that. So I think I can get through to a senior leader when I talk about understanding that investing in people and really thinking carefully about this is a matter of survival. Once we make that connection, 
then I like to talk a lot about the fact that leaders, they're kind of the chief architects of those patterns of communication and interaction that I was talking about earlier. And I think that's the stuff that makes culture. So if you're in a culture that is willing to alienate people who are new in the organization, and it doesn't create investments for them to kind of find a home to get connected, whether it's through a mentor or a sponsor or whether it's through that supportive relationship. And if you don't create a culture that speaks the truth about what we understand or frankly, what we don't understand, either because our industry is changing or because there's a lot of complexity, then the experiences like you had will get repeated where people sort of float, they drift, they can't quite connect. And then they realize that they're not living out the kinds of lifestyle and goal type experiences that they had. And again, people who are smart and courageous will find it and others will simply camp out and clog up our productivity lanes. And that's, that's typically where I start. When a leader really recognizes that the way they talk about things like priorities and value and contributions, that it really matters, then they actually take a willingness to, you know, assess their recruitment and selection process. And instead of using a standard job description, maybe they're willing to actually use this job within the job description, which is what I promote, where people actually talk about the hidden side of work. They speak honestly about it, and they actually talk about the skill sets and the requirements that people need to succeed. I love that. And let's let's dive into that. And again, the book is Beyond the Job Description, How Managers and Employees Can Navigate the True Demands of the Job. So keep in mind, we're talking managers, senior level, lower level, employees, everyone. And really, the best part about this is you're almost saying, let's get rid of the jargon. Because everybody who works in corporate America or mostly anywhere, you can read an email and none of it is even real language. You know, it's per the previous discovered documentation and but like it doesn't mean anything it, it always kills me why don't people just talk the way they would at a dinner with somebody and connect a lot more is going to get done so do you cover that that aspect you know really how to clearly and concisely but in a manner that people can connect with well, I hope so, but I'm sure, you know, I have a PhD, so I'm probably guilty of, uh, I've basically cut out a lot of jargon by saying, let's get to the point and have a candid conversation. And I've probably added just as much back, but you can forgive me for that. I'm trying. That's funny. I think the reality for most people is that work is this double experience. I actually call it the double reality of work. It's It's a phrase that comes from this concept that at one level, there's the experience we have. But all the time and simultaneously, there's this experience that we expected to have. And when we don't reconcile those, we have, you know, things like cognitive dissonance where we just can't quite make sense of it. And a lot of times we get deeply felt frustration from the fact that why isn't it like it should be? And work is not how it should be. People are difficult. Uh, Things are confusing. They change. Our skill sets aren't as relevant tomorrow as they were yesterday. So all of these things are happening And I don't think most of us as average individual contributors, whether we're managers or not, I don't think we're that skilled at focusing and noticing on a day-to-day basis how we're showing up, how we're contributing, and how we're advancing our own capacity. So if you're serious about staying relevant and, you know, getting ahead of the change curve, I think you've got to get really good at understanding the double reality of work, digging into that job within the job concept and becoming a master at really identifying the barriers that come from this hidden curriculum of work. Once you can pinpoint those and resolve them, and again, I have 
a lot of tools, but more to the point on this, something called Nav Maps. It's a way to navigate the challenges of the hidden side of work. It's a four-part process. All you need is a pencil and a piece of paper. And I, I literally teach people to draw out their everyday barriers and transform those because they're kind of the signposts that point us toward the areas we need to grow and develop. That's interesting, actually. I was just thinking about that. So when you have people draw out these things, what oftentimes comes up? I'm sure you see trends. I mean, the same way we see trends when we talk to people and certain things that stick out, you have to see trends in organizations. I'm a little interested in, you know, what those tend to be. Well, there are everyday, you know, barriers and challenges that you and I, you know, we could have a beer and we could talk about them. And you're in finance. I was in consulting and HR and I've led nonprofit organizations and, you know, consulted in a lot of industries. So I've had the, the role of both internally facing executives or I've been a leader of an organization and a team and also this consulting role. We could probably exchange war stories and come up with things like <laughs> breakdowns in communication or change fatigue because people just burn out. There's too much change in a short period of time. Or there's no sense of clarity on goals and roles. And so people sort of trip over each other and there's redundancy and we could go on and on. But what's most interesting is that until you actually start to draw it and learn how to get down to the root cause, it's harder to pinpoint those elusive barriers. You know, something like uh, skilled incompetence, where you focus on the things that come easy and natural to you, and you do enough of those to keep really, really busy. But the more important priorities are left untouched because, well, they're difficult, they're hard to figure out where to start, and we're afraid we'll look bad if we fail because we're, we're a little bit worried about that. So these are the more elusive barriers, and the first step in creating a nav map is, is to draw out a constellation. It's a constellation with this idea that points of light in the night sky, you know, these forces like gravity hold things together. And if you can pinpoint what's at the center of that, just draw a circle and write down what you think the core issue is, then you can draw some lines and some peripheral circles and say, all right, if this is going on, what other experience am I getting? So you start to see that, wait a minute, this is a system of behaviors. This is a pattern. And you can play around with it until you get the right barrier at the core. And once you have that, you've got what you need to go through the next three steps to actually transform it. That definitely makes a lot of sense. The whole time I keep thinking when these employers come to you and say, we need help because we've come into, you know, we notice that there's the apathy at work or people are quitting or the turnover do you usually just walk them through all of these processes? Is that how it kind of works? Or are there things that you say you have to do this right now? You have to, you know, because I think about meetings, for example, how if you work for five different organizations, meetings are going to be run five different ways. And so they oftentimes don't get accomplished what needs to be or the people there are confused about them. And I just wonder if there are standard best practices that you tell each employer or manager that you work with. Yeah, absolutely. And just in case some of your listeners uh, attend a lot of meetings, and I'm sure <laughs> they do, because the one cross-cutting function that most of us in the world of work can relate to is the fact that we have to attend a lot of meetings. I have a whole chapter on sort of how to hack your meeting schedule and get 28% more productivity. Yes, you heard me, an exact 28 <laughs> So, So check that out if you're tired of sitting on your bum and wondering if you could be doing something better. Yeah. But to your point about the differences, I mean, I think there are principles that cut through. There's, there's no question. So 
I actually like to really think around the, you know, transferring the capacity for people to see these things themselves and giving them the tools to transform them. You know, from a consultant perspective, it does get tiring to see the same challenges and to know that people might get some short-term gains. But in order to actually get some behavior change and some traction, there are no shortcuts. You, you really got to focus and invest in this. And so I try to set up the context where people can get a running start, get some confidence, and, and do it themselves. And one of the easiest ways to get confidence is to really start by, again, creating that constellation it gives people a chance to talk about their frustrations and what they're seeing. And one of the things that you notice when you work with people who are on a team is that everybody's got this point of view that's slightly different. Mm. And the more I can get people to acknowledge that the way you tell the story of why you hate our team meetings, and it's different than my way of telling it, yours is just as important, just as right as mine. And so that's just a critical piece of, of creating this sort of commitment and acceptance of the subjective. And I noticed I was reading kind of about your book and everything. There was this there was a sentence that stood out to me. And you talk about developing a clear vision and plan to achieve the the working life you want. And I often ask anyone we talk to, whether it be CEOs, philosophers, psychologists, neurobiologists, all that stuff, because that's what I'm seeking is this this perfect work life. And everybody attacks it from a different angle, right? If it's the psych guy, he talks about what you were good at when you were a child. And if it's the philosopher, it's finding how you mesh with the world. Talking with you, a PhD in the job behind the job, I want to see how you believe as an individual, as an employee, we can develop a vision that guides us to achieve the working life we want. I'm thrilled that you're really committed to this because I think if there's more of us out there who are really advocating for that, I think people will kind of wake up to the fact that that's an option. Because <laughs> believe me, a lot of people who have been beaten down by their experience at work are convinced that there really is no good option. There's show up, do your time, and, and even in some cases literally suffer and go through the motions. But this idea that you can take back your working life with some intention and some focus, you can actually create the conditions where you can shift some of the structural things as far as your opportunities to good assignments, your ability to shift careers if you want to. I actually give people some proven tools from the career development work I've done, but it does start with that specific and fundamental mind shift, and that is we actually make our own experience at work. So when you complain about the culture of your organization, when you complain about your boss, those are legitimate, but only to a point. The fact is, the everyday habits and patterns of communication that, that we engage in shape our experience. They're the stuff of culture. When you string enough of those individuals doing that together, that's what you've got when you've got organizational culture. There's nothing we inherit that comes from it besides the kind of pattern echoes of how people have been talking about it. So we're much more powerful at shaping what happens next than I think we give ourselves credit for. So I, I provide a compass, it's got four directions, and it's just a daily way for people to check in and say, am I on target? So after they set sort of the horizon for the working life they want, it's kind of creating a vision for the kinds of experiences you want, the kind of people you want to work with, the kind of contributions you want to make to the world. That North Star is about staying on vital purpose, value-added contributions, and really those hidden challenges. So that's the job within the job piece we spoke about. Looking east is sort of about 
the hopeful vision you have and, and continuing to draw on that, getting some inspiration. Facing South is really about understanding how kind of your, your own intuition around dealing with work is important and really learning how to trust yourself and being your own career guide. And then finally, the last piece is around getting really, really good at creating the habits where you resolve those barriers and you don't let them fester. Because I can teach you how to make nav maps, but if you just live with the barriers to learning and performance you experience at work, you might know more about them, but they're still going to take that toll. So you sort of have to be relentless around saying, okay, you know, for example, there's some performance whitewashing here where I'm treating all my goals and priorities the same. This is making me feel like I'm spinning my wheels and not moving forward. I need to transform this barrier. I need to figure out what is the essence of what's going on and draw out that constellation, go through the next few steps. And your boss isn't watching. Nobody's keeping you accountable for that. But it's the personal ownership in creating the quality of the working life you want that fuels you because you know you're going to go home and sleep better or your blood pressure might go down <laughs> or your significant other is going to be happy because you can actually be with them and not Bingo. be thinking about work. <laughs> I like yeah. that one. So you, this is for your dating life or your married life. Yeah, that's awesome. And you really struck a chord with me because, like I said, working for a consulting firm, you know, they always told you, you shape your career, you do what you want, all this stuff, but then you get put on these projects. But where you didn't. Right. Well, <laughs> here's what I'm trying to get to. You you know, you spend 45, 50 plus hours a week working for a client and then you want to do stuff to help yourself grow, but you've reached that point of exhaustion, wanting to get home to your significant other, your dog or whoever else it might be. Dinner. Dinner, all those types of things. So one of the things that I, I noticed was, you know, companies like Google, I don't know if they do it anymore where they have that 80-20 rule where 20% of your time can be focused on personal growth and those types of projects that you want to learn. Are you noticing that with more and more companies now that they're letting their employees use some of their time for growth and not holding that against them, you know, when it comes to review time, mid-year, end-of-year type review processes? You know, that's a, that's a good question. I think, I think you're right that Google, among many other trends, they have, they have really spawned a, a cottage industry at how to really kind of dress up your organizational culture and to create some what look like really good options for employees to, to want to stay and contribute. And I personally think that 80-20 rule and uh, that sort of project of passion thing is really important. And I think if they're executing it well, uh, that's great for the, for the people involved. The reality is that most of us don't work for Google. We won't <laughs> work for Google. Yep. And so the uh, option is a little bit more limited. That does not mean, however, that we can afford not to invest in our own growth. So if I was an individual listening to this guy, Jesse, and, and I'm thinking about my culture, which maybe there's a lot of fear and distrust, or maybe we're just recovering from the layoffs and whatever it is, things look bad. You might say, well, there's no time for that. It's, I'm already overworked and I'm already feeling disengaged. How can I? And I would just simply say, how can you afford not to, not to invest something in this? If indeed you've embraced this concept that you are the largest influence on the quality of your working life, how you feel about it, how you talk about it, what you put into it. So I guess start by hacking your meeting schedule. And I mentioned that as a teaser, but literally if you're in a professional services world, you're going to spend, you know, up to 80% of your time in meetings. Oh yeah. That, you, you did it, right? 54 yep. hours a week with a client. How much of that was sitting across with them or with your own team? You know, virtually 100%. <laughs> yep. If you actually just do the math, 
and let's let's just take a conservative number. Let's imagine that um, you're at the lower end of that. So only 25% of your time is in meetings. That still translates to 65 working days. Okay, that's 1,664 hours. So it's one of those things where if before every meeting as you're walking down the hall or preparing to get on the conference line, imagine you ask three questions. You know, what, what vital purpose can I play at this meeting? How, how can I actually make a difference? What specific contributions will actually add the greatest value and help us have a productive meeting? This is not the showmanship, how can I you know, ask an intelligent question and impress my boss? It's truly around how can I move things forward? And then finally, you know, what are some of the potential hidden challenges that could surface, make it hard for me or for us to have a successful meeting and achieve the results we want? You know, that takes literally a couple minutes of sort of quietly focusing your efforts. And imagine if you did that across the board, how much more insight would you have going in and coming out of meetings? How much more would you be able to piggyback on that busy work or that unproductive time that you're already going to invest in, but now you've sort of hijacked it for your own career development? And I think that's a simple way of starting. I really enjoy that advice. And John hijacked the mic earlier because when you were talking, you know, in the, in the last question we asked, you said so many things that resonated. And I really just want our listeners to grasp that idea because it took me a while. I've recently started grasping it that we are powerful at shaping our working conditions, whether it be actually shaping the way our company or organization functions, our small team, but even the way we look at it. If you find different ways to approach tasks or there are just things you can do to get your mindset in a place where you can enjoy it a little bit more. And if that happens, if you start feeling, I think, that the ball rolling in the right direction, it's just this cycle and it helps us imagine the possibilities of what we can produce. So I just, you know, you got me rolling here and now I can't, I can't help but to just spew all my thoughts. Well, don't <laughs> stop. Don't stop. Keep rolling. No, I know. I know we've kept you on long enough. And Jesse, I really appreciate you speaking with us today. This is a topic that's near and dear to both of our hearts. I really appreciate you out there in the world kind of trying to bring more attention to it and help people realize that they can navigate the working world. So for those that are just as passionate as John and I about this, where can they learn more about you, learn from your your tools and read about what you do? As I mentioned, the book Beyond the Job Description, we'll put a link on smartpeoplepodcast.com. Is there somewhere else they can find you? Yeah, they can go to my website, jessesostrin.com. That's J-E-S-S-E. S-O-S-T-R-I-N.com. Um, they can follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn. It's all at Jesse Sostrin. The book is Beyond the Job Description. You can go to beyondthejobdescription.com. Go to Amazon. Just search one of those keywords and you'll find me. And uh, I really appreciate you guys having me on. But more importantly, I appreciate what you're doing because uh, it's what you're doing that sort of validates the importance of following that passion but taking the time to figure out what it is first. I really appreciate that. I really do. And again, thanks so much for being on. Couldn't have been a more exciting conversation. I love this stuff. And best of luck you know, with the book and everything. I know that it's coming out now. So we'll definitely be spreading the word on that as it's, a, it's an important thing for all of us. I appreciate your support. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, Jesse. Have a good night. You too. That was Jesse Sostrin, and I hope that was a conversation that satisfied your curious mind. That, Random branding thrown in there. That's as far as you got in the outro planning, right there. That, 
That one, was one sentence, half of which is written down. That was everything that I was trying to come up with for about ten minutes. Actually, no. We were looking at the Denver versus San Diego Monday night football matchup. Oh my god, dude. Are you on drugs? I, it's I, I Thursday so. night. <laughs> oh my god. Thursday night football. Alright, I have to be honest here. Ever since I stopped working, I have lost complete track. <laughs> Everyone of boo days. this man. Complete Ugh. track. I no longer know what day is what. It doesn't it doesn't matter anymore. The only days that I know are weekends because there's more people around. Hey Roach, you're a jerk. More people. Anyways, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. It's been so much fun. I can't believe another year coming to wrap soon. I will say we do have we have an interview on Monday. We have one on Saturday. We have one the following week. So we're stacking them up. Um, but as we mentioned, we're gonna next week we're gonna do a best of to kind of round out the year, holiday season, all that good stuff. Amazon is our sponsor this week. Please go to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Click that Amazon banner at the top of the page. You know how to do it. Keep doing it. December's a big month. Yeah, for us, you guys are doing awesome this December so far. But keep buying cool stuff for your friends and family. No, we don't even care about that. Just thing. tell people about Smart People Podcast if they like conversations that happen to satisfy their curious mind. Oh, branding again. I love it. Hey, guys, seriously, if you want T-shirts or something, shoot us an email, smartpeoplepodcast yeah. at gmail.com. I've been looking into putting friendly. together like a store, and if there's any type of, I guess, desire for that out there, we'll go ahead and throw it up on the site. So we'll make it cool. Let us know. Enjoy your week. That kind of sounded like, let it snow. Let it snow. Let, let it snow. Let it snow. Let it snow. Let it snow.